Barb Higgins here, welcoming you to A Thousand Tiny Steps. In this podcast, I share my stories of love, loss, triumphs, and tragedy as I continue to trace my steps backward and ponder what led to the death of my daughter, Molly. If you're ready to laugh, cry, shake your head in disbelief, or simply listen, and tie, buckle, slip on, or lace up your shoes, and join me as we begin our A Thousand Tiny Steps. Hey everyone, Barb Higgins here, welcoming you to episode 83 of A Thousand Tiny Steps. So I'm really recording. I recorded episode 83 yesterday, and when I went through and listened, first of all, it was a bit disjointed, and sometimes I have to tell the story, organize the story in my head, and then tell it again. So this is something I might be able to accomplish driving in a car or something, but I need to listen to it. I need to say it and then listen to the story. And this was another one where a couple of things happened. It got a bit off topic here and there, And I also was pretty specific with some names. And this is what's tricky for me is the only names I'm really willing to include are names that that a listener who didn't know me could go online and find already published evidence and episodes and information about what I'm talking about. So I, I mention Amy and Roy quite easily because they're a huge piece of a very public story and their names and actions and activities are open to the public as much as mine. So I'm not giving up information can't be found someplace else. I am giving up the romantic involvement information that I was speculated upon and gossiped about anyway. I don't feel like I'm telling someone else's story by telling mine. There is a lot that comes in the year leading up to Molly's death that I have to just be careful. I have to have to moderate and be careful about how I tell the story. I go back to my friend, Tall James, He's getting a doctorate in history, and, and he's the one that we talk a lot about why people share their stories, and that sometimes the historical stories that are shared are not so important because of what they talk about, but why they were shared in the first place. What was the motive behind sharing? How were they shared? And so I try very hard in telling my dirty, deep, dark secrets to keep the stories as bias-free as possible so that I doesn't, it's not like I'm on here outing somebody's bad behavior. I'm outing mine as much as anyone else's. I'm outing what happened and trying to be sincere about it. It isn't easy sometimes. The second thing that often happens to me is I start telling a story which evokes another memory. And so I, it's like the dog in the movie, Up. he's in the middle of talking and then he's just a squirrel and stops and goes, squirrel, and then continues with the story. Sometimes that's me. And this episode will cover the end of the summer of 2015 to Christmas, just a four month period, but it's a very significant four month period that began a downward spiral that in my mind would be the last beginning of the end of Molly, the last sort of true beginning until we get to the doctor business. Several times in my life, I've been at a place where things are pretty good and then things happen. And a very short time later, things are so bad, I can't even believe they're as bad as they are. The two that are significant here would be my friendship with Amy and how my life went from sort of normal and organized to really fun, to really overwhelmingly creeped out and feeling very violated a lot. The next piece is key day with Roy and how in the summer of 2009, I was in a really good place. And then a year later, my life was a disaster and I was months away from losing my job. So quick, these things, events and periods of time where my life goes from good to bad. So now we're in the summer of 2015. And in my last episode, I talked about some of the crazy behavior on Roy's part, the major fights between Kenny and Roy and me trying to balance it all out and sort of maintain the status quo I believe that Roy must have been dating somebody at that time because very typically people in his situation, you know, a relationship with me was fine when there wasn't anyone else in his life. And then if there was someone else in his life, 
rather than just say there's someone else in my life, he would, you know, create problems for us and suddenly be angry and show up at my house uninvited and dump all my stuff in the lawn, those kinds of things. So that we had that crazy summer. As July went into August, a couple of things were happening. Gracie and Molly were in a play with RB Productions called Legally Blonde the Musical. And this would be Molly's last, you know, performance with RB. We love that theater company and the Molly B Foundation to this day supports RB quite well. And so this was a fun time for them. But what I remember most is that Kenny and I were really, really struggling. It had been hard. The skydiving trip was right around this time as well. And I was very honest that I was going skydiving with Roy. And so it just created a lot of drama and stress in our house. And Kenny and I went to the play and we had been drinking and both of us sort of fell asleep in our seats. It was horrifying. I felt really bad. Like I just wasn't okay. I look back on this summer sometimes just feeling like it was a good summer. Again, it was just one of those summers like the eye of the storm or like maybe before a tsunami hits, all the water disappears. That water just goes back back for miles because a tsunami is an earthquake underwater. So when the earth splits, the water is sucked in and then it's washed out quickly and you have a tsunami. And so I feel like summer of 2015 and going into that school year, the fall, was like the tsunami warning where the water was just disappearing and nothing was right. So that summer, I had lost my friendship with Robin. The positive side of that was I spent hours and hours with Gracie. My entire social life at that time was, was circled around Robin. And all of our friends that were shared, which were which was the majority of my friends at that time, sided with Robin. I think that was just how Robin orchestrated it. In that way, every time she's decided we're not friends, one by one, anyone I knew that knows Robin is suddenly unfriending me on Facebook and separating. As the years have gone by, that's changed a bit. A lot of these people have reached out and said, look, which was crazy and I'm sorry. In that summer of 2015, I spent a lot of time with Gracie and Molly. Now that I know what was going to happen, I'm really grateful that I just had so many hours with them. As the summer wound down, it was getting ready for school. And one of my favorite memories of late August was going with Gracie to the high school. Molly was with us and walking all around and seeing where her classrooms were and meeting some teachers. We just had a truly wonderful time. And then I had a doctor's appointment. And so Gracie and Molly went on their own to Rumley. They got Molly's papers. And then they walked home and they were so excited they could do this by themselves, that they were old enough and mature enough to be out and about by themselves. You know, here's Gracie going into high school and she's excited that I'm letting her walk around town by herself. But this was new behavior for them. During their play in August, they asked permission when rehearsal's over, can we just go downtown? Can we go to Eagle Works? Can we go to Orange Leaf? I'm like, sure. And they just felt so ready to be grown up and independent. It was so, such a happy time for them. As bad as things were at home, that was an incredibly happy time for Gracie and for Molly. Right about the beginning of the school year, their best friends at the time, Rebecca and Keisha, came over. Their mom was a school teacher in a different town and she was already starting. So she had teacher meetings and was gone all day. So they came and hung out here. As I've said, maybe I haven't said this enough, but Bands Off Thursdays and Johnson Fridays were like a regular in our home where the girls would come here on Thursday afternoons and evenings because their mom had a faculty meeting. And then Fridays, Gracie and Molly would go there and spend the night. And sometimes Johnson Fridays turned into Johnson, Bands Off, Chase Weekends, where Kelsey would come over from across the street and the five of them would just hang out for hours. It was awesome. And so on this particular night, the end of August, I think August 28th, was a life-changing night. And I look at it as life-changing because it was just sort of a split-second decision that would have devastating results. Gracie, Molly, Rebecca, and Keech were playing in the swimming pool and they were dancing around and horsing around and yelling things to people as they went by and just having a wonderful time. And I, I was in a boot. I had hurt my foot. I think maybe I had a stress fracture. So I'm sitting in a, in a chair there with my boot on the lawn watching the girls. It's a beautiful night. 
And I hear noise next door. And my neighbor was having sort of a campfire and had some people over. His foot was in a boot as well. So I thought I'll walk over and say hi and commiserate with the boot. And so I walked over and there was a group of, he had just some friends over and his wife was away on a trip. And so I sat down ostensibly for a moment, just to chit chat. And I ended up staying. So like two hours late into the night drinking. They were all smoking pot. So the fumes from that were quite thick. And I remember just feeling really wasted, but also having a really wonderful time, just having fun. I left my peaceful, wonderful yard to go do this. And time got ahead of me a bit. And at that little gathering was a gentleman that owns a private school in Concord, has been heavily involved in city politics and, you know, running a school and tutoring and all those sorts of things for, you know, 30 years or so. He was someone that I knew. And actually, shortly after I lost my job, I had applied for a job at his school and nothing ever came of it. No one ever called me back. And so I just thought, okay, well, he didn't want to hire me. I didn't push it. I didn't have enough self-confidence at the time. Not that that would have been the right thing for me to do, but it was definitely an in-person job that may have balanced out the VLACs and may have given me some day-to-day stability, would have given me health insurance. And I oftentimes think my lack of health insurance and then my needing for financial assistance from the hospital played a key role in a lot of our treatment. And my treatment as well over the years after losing my job, but that never happened. So after this evening, the gentleman that owned the school kept following me around. I'll just call him Doug. So Doug kept following me around, following me around, following me around. And it was a bit unsettling, I have to be honest. And I laughed and joked and made of it because that's what I do when I was I'd had a lot of drinks. And so it got to be later and later and I really wanted to go home and no, stay, don't go yet, don't go yet. You know, and everyone else had left except him. And you know, of course the guy who lives there. So eventually I, Gracie yelled out, mommy, mommy, come in, where are you? And so I left. So over the next couple of weeks, this person would show up sort of uninvited at my house. So I'd be floating in the pool in the middle of the morning from 10 to 12 was sort of my free time. I had you know, 120 VLAC students. So my afternoons were VLACs. And then later in the afternoon, I coached at Bow High School. I had my days really well organized. I could be with the girls in the morning. I could take them to school. Then I went to CrossFit. My day-to-day existence was flawless. There was no reason to change it. I didn't need a new job. I didn't need anything else. And he convinced me, just convinced me, you need to come work for me. You need to come work for me. I need you in my business. You're amazing with kids. And and it got me because one of the things I had just so longed for was in-person teaching. And so I took a job as a substitute and then a PE teacher at his school. All this did, and I even felt it at the time, was take me away from Gracie and Molly. And it also sort of set me up to be an unwitting participant in Doug's sort of drama, I guess drama. I don't know how else to describe it. He was a very, very overpowering personality. He still is. He gets an idea in his head and that's what's going to happen. Now that has served him well in his professional life. He has been fierce and stubborn and has helped countless children. He also, like me sometimes, finds himself in trouble because he speaks too much or he says too much or whatever. He also has a very big reputation around town as a bit of a womanizer. And so I was sort of just the perfect perfect person at the time for him to deem his next project. So he would talk all the time about, let's start a school, let's go into business together, let's do all these things. As these conversations grew, he pulled me from the school and now I was working in the downtown location we did, in fact, start a school and it was two or three tutors that wanted to make extra money. And then me sort of overseeing this school for children with emotional issues. The most we had 11 students. Typically we had five or six. I don't mind and I don't regret that I had the experience with the students because any experience with children is a good thing. All this relationship did and this connection and this new job, all it did was pull me away from Gracie and Molly. Hours and hours. I no longer could I bring them to school because I had to be to work at 8.30. So Molly had to start taking the bus in the morning. 
that was heartbreaking for me. I loved my Molly times. So I pushed it and said, look, I can't get into school until 8.30. That's as soon as I can get there. I'm not going to stop dropping Molly off. And so that went back and forth all throughout the year. I suddenly had to go straight from work to coaching. And there were times when he didn't want me to go to coaching. There were also times where we'd have a break in the students and he'd say, let's go have lunch. And we'd go to get lunch and we'd end up drinking like in midday. So now I've had alcohol. I can't go coach cross country under the influence of alcohol. And so sometimes I have to cancel practice because I'm having alcohol at lunch with my boss and it's the middle of a work day. Like none of it was okay. I can't say that I was some unwitting victim. I didn't know how to say no. And once I had alcohol in my system, I didn't think well anyway. And that's how I think anybody is. As the fall went along, there were two occasions specifically that stand out where we finished our school day. Cross country was over by now. It was later November. We had had so much alcohol. We had a, we had a meeting at his house once and several staff members were there. They got hammered, far too hammered to drive home. And actually one time I think I fell asleep, and, you know, woke up at like 11 at night. So poor Molly and Gracie are petrified, like, where are you? And I was in a FaceTime call with Molly and she was just sobbing. And I said, Molly, I'm fine. I've had too much to drink. I can't drive home. I will see you in the morning. And I was wasted. And I woke up in the morning hardly remembering it. I just, and just heartbroken with myself. And thus began a pattern of behavior where, where Doug would impose himself into my life. I'd be sitting, sitting at my kitchen table and he would show up. What are you doing here? Well, I just came to say hi. You know, he'd drop in. We'd be eating dinner and he'd drop in. And he wouldn't, oh, is this a bad time? Well, kind of, but he'd sit down anyway. He always had a drink in his hand. I remember Kenny getting really, really irritated by it. And I can't say that I blame him. Kenny and I were also on really tricky footing at this time. We were really trying to maintain a peaceful home for our Gracie and Molly. At the same time, Kenny's illness is exacerbating and getting worse. Molly is starting to feel increasingly off, but not in such a way that we don't really know what to do. She won't share a lot with me. And she's managing her symptoms. But in talking to Gracie now, they really kept a lot of how Molly was feeling secret. And that's Gracie's burden to carry. So as the fall went along, I was slowly losing footing, like losing my grasp. And I compared a little bit to 2009 when Roy came into the picture and I started my relationship with him. But that was different. So much of my relationship with Roy brought me happiness. It didn't bring stress at the time. It was this sort of secret, amazing thing that was happening. But it took me away from what I should have been focusing on. And this situation with Doug was similar, except that the time I spent with him stressed me out unbelievably so. You know, a two-hour meeting would turn, would turn into a six-hour excursion. Several times, I would say, look, I need to be home by three. And then three o'clock would roll around and we're still two hours away from home. And then he'd pull into a restaurant. Let's have dinner. I need to go home. I said I'd be home two hours ago. And you're already late. You know, I look back on it now and I'm angry at myself. I just, I should have just hitchhiked and come home. That's kind of how I feel when I look back on those memories. And I'm not sure how Doug would respond or how he will respond when he hears all this, but this was his nature. And he was insecure enough that if he could get me to compliment him and show that I liked what he did, fed his ego a bit. He is amazing with students. And I would sit in awe sometimes watching him in a meeting with families and how he maneuvered the conversation to get these kids to open up and talk about what their life was like. I've never seen anything like it. And I think sometimes someone so talented is also so evil. At the time he was married to a woman I'll call Nanette. Nanette was a very strong personality and it was clear that she had Doug controlled. He was a bit of a marionette for her and she didn't like me. And I can't say that I blame her. Based on the scenario that was set up by Doug, why would she? And I don't think he did a very good job hiding how he felt. It was clear that he wanted more from me than I was willing to give. 
This was a difficult scenario because I'm now working at his business. Come to find out, Nanette was in charge of hiring. So she feels like she was like backhanded into hiring me because I was already working there. She was away on some sort of trip and she got back and I was working there full time. And she was like, what? So I had to go through this whole formal interview process with her. It, the whole thing was bizarre. And so many times, so many times, the little alarm bells in my head are saying, Barbara, don't, Barbara, don't, Barbara, don't. But I don't listen to those things. I didn't then. I'm better at listening to them now, although not as much as I should be. And so I just followed along. I just followed along. November came into December. It was the Christmas show. I remember Molly and Gracie won this raffle. It was like the funnest Christmas show ever. Doug came to the Christmas show and Kenny and I were in a big fight at that time. Kenny was up in the balcony. I sat with Doug. He had a reason for coming that was separate from me, but there he was. He bought some raffle tickets and his ticket won a basket. And so it was a makeup basket. And I have all these pictures of Gracie and Molly going through it and organizing it, keeping what they like. That's one of those things I can't get rid of. The little black container that all the makeup came in. I still have it. It's actually right here. I'm looking at it. Those of you that are watching me, I'm five feet away from the the shiny black box and all that makeup was in. This was a wonderful experience for Gracie and Molly, a memory they'll remember always. And for me, it has the, all those twisted realities where I'm not even sitting with Kenny, I'm sitting with Doug. It was just this chaotic, chaotic disaster. You know, not knowing this is Molly's last Christmas show. As we're going into Christmas in the whole holiday season, Kenny and I realized that we have to pull it together for Gracie and Molly, that things are awful, but we have to make it okay. And so we did what we call push the pause button. We just paused the fact that nothing was okay. We made believe everything was fine. For two entire weeks, Kenny took them Christmas shopping. They bought me presents. I took them Christmas shopping and we bought Kenny presents. We got the girls amazing things. I did all the wrapping. I wrapped presents for Kenny's older kids. I took care of all of it. We just decided it had to work. Kenny's daughter Katie had a Christmas party at her new home that year. I didn't go. Gracie and Molly and Kenny went. I think this was, they had done that the year prior as well. And so it was a nice tradition for them to go and be with the bands off plan on Christmas Eve. And I was just home by myself, which was fine. When the girls were little, Christmas scenes were neighborhood affairs. And after the family up the street, you know, sort of disowned us, that all stopped. We didn't have neighborhood Christmas Eves anymore. The Christmas Eve was wonderful. Leading up to Christmas Eve, I was wrapping presents and I was very, very busy and I was by myself and I'm listening to music and I'm trying to get into the spirit and be normal and okay. I'm wrapping presents and somebody comes in. So I'm like, hello? And it was Doug and he comes on upstairs and I'm like, wrapping presents upstairs. Like, what are you doing? Well, I came to visit. And so I said, well, I'm very busy wrapping and shouldn't you be at your house? And he was, you know, I don't, I don't want to be at my house. And just this very hectic, crazy, chaotic time. He had an alcohol in his hand, he was drinking. So we had a bit of a, an argument and he left. And Shortly thereafter, I realized that he had left his phone and his wallet like at my house. So I called from his phone to Nanette's phone. And I'm like, this is Barb. I have Dave's wallet and phone here. Can you send him over to get it? Someone come get it. So she came over. And so I greeted her on the porch and she starts to lecture me. And I just put my hands up and said, stop. I want nothing to do with this. I work there. That's it. I don't want to get involved in whatever may or may not be going on with you. And that was fine. So it all sort of backed off at that time. During this same time, I went down for sort of a visit with Roy and Doug and I had quite a text thread on my phone because, you know, I worked there and sometimes he would be at one location, I'd be at the other. And we became, you know, I, I'd be lying if I said we didn't develop a very close friendship. And I often told him I loved him and he told me he loved me. I tell a lot of people I love them. You know, I tell my prospect coaches I love them. In my life, I've used those words very, very freely. So if you read the text messages, you might think there was some big, giant romantic connection going on. There wasn't, although the undercurrent was there all the time. That was really what 
Doug's motivation was, I think. I think he respected me as an educator, but I think there was more to it. The whole thing was unsettling. So I went to visit Roy, and while I was in the bathroom at that visit, he took my phone and went in. This was something that we also thought about, like, how dare you go into my phone? My phone was locked. And he's like, well, I looked over your shoulder. I memorized your code. It's your own fault I could get in. This is very, very much how Roy justified anything that he did. If I had broken into his phone, God help me. That's all I can say. And so he read this text thread and he, he came out holding my phone. You know, who's Doug? And so I went through the whole scenario with him. Yes, he, I think he had feelings for me. And yes, I told him I loved him and furious, just furious with me. And so he was like, that's it. Oh, he wanted to give me something, put in my car. It was my Christmas present. I think he brought it out. Oh, it was a mirror, this beautiful antique mirror in a frame. He goes, well, this is your Christmas present. I'm going to put it in your car. And so he put it in my car and he asked me to come outside for some reason. And once I was outside, he locked me out and everything was in my car. My bag was in my car, everything. And that was how he said, you're going home. Old Barb, panicked Barb would have pleaded with him and pounded on his door. I didn't. I got in my car and left. That was fine. And so I'm driving home and I called Kenny because of course I had made up some story about where I was. And Kenny was furious with me. Don't come home. Go wherever you want. I'm done with this. He was so angry, just so angry and rightfully so. So then I called Doug and Doug had also had a giant fight with Nanette and he was staying at a local hotel. He had a couple of rooms there. And so he said, well, why don't you just come here? And so I did. And I spent an entire night away from my family, away from Roy, away from Kenny, away from Gracie and Molly with this unbelievably unhealthy new addition to my life, Doug. And we just partied all night long. And, you know, I woke up in the morning feeling like crap, you know, feeling like crap in a million ways, had to come home to an angry, angry home. Gracie and Molly not understanding at all where he was coming from. What is going on, mommy? What is going on? So I go from August, sitting in my yard, having a relative sense of calmness. Yes, my friendship with Robin is over, but I'm better now. Yes, things have been hectic with Roy, but they're in a holding pattern now. Yes, I'm, I'm making plenty of money. I have an amazing schedule. I loved my schedule. I still can't believe I got sucked into taking this job and changing my whole life because it would cost me everything. Ultimately, that one decision, to go over and sit at that campfire, set a series of events in motion that I have to own as my own, that I believe nailed the coffin, so to speak, of Molly's death. I feel like I was so chaotic and so uninvolved and so all over the place that all of our behaviors, all the key players in Molly's life, Kenny, me, Gracie, Molly, my mother, Roy, all were off, off kilter. And I just added to it by this new relationship. A couple of other things that are worth telling to sort of illustrate the depth of my, my manipulation. A couple of times I would talk to Doug about Roy and I would get very emotional and I would cry and I would just be so, so caught up in talking about it and talking about girls and Kenny and what do I do and all of this. And one time I'm talking away and I look over and he's crying and I'm like, are you crying? Doug sort of nods his head and I'm like, oh, I guess my story was touching you or whatever. And he said, no, I just wish that you were in love with me. I'm sad that you're not in love with me. I'm crying because you don't feel this way about me. Okay, okay. So that was a pretty pretty difficult place for me to be. So began this dance, this sort of, we're dancing around things where I was trying very hard to maintain whatever my status quo life was. I was trying very hard to keep up with VLAX. I wasn't keeping up with VLAX. I should have just cut my students in half and I wouldn't have lost that job. But ultimately... I wasn't doing well. I was ignoring VLAC students. In my day, in my work day, I had time for VLAX. I had my computer open. I had it scheduled out. I had two hours in the middle of the day, my lunch and my planning period where I worked on VLAX. 99% of the time, I'd be just getting into VLAX and Doug would come in and say, let's go to lunch or let's do this or let's do this. 
And I just had a very hard time saying no. I just went. The next bizarre thing that happened was Doug reached out to Roy and started communicating with him. And I'm like, what? So he had taken my phone and gotten Roy's number and started communicating with him. And I just, I just was befuddled. Like, who are you to talk to anyone in my life? Roy <laughs> bought right into it. He just, he just bought right into this whole dynamic. I remember walking in on them once having a conversation. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Like, what are you talking about? What are you saying? Oh my gosh. And Roy made a bunch of assumptions that if I said the words, I love you to somebody that I must be sleeping with them all the time and all this, this must be going on. And none of that was going on. That wasn't what it was about. It wasn't appropriate. It wasn't healthy. It wasn't good for anybody involved. It was selfish and creepy and awful. But both Doug and Roy were very, very willing to go on what each other said in their, their illustrations of our lives, their illustrations of me to one another just became increasingly ugly, increasingly negatively charged. And I was just fighting this bizarre losing battle. I didn't even know what to do. It was mind boggling. And it went on for months. And I'm not going to talk about those months right now because the key parts of this episode and this time period, September to December, are just, it's like I stepped off a cliff and I was just plummeting to a horrible demise. And I knew, I knew each day I'd sort of wake up and think to myself, right, Barbara, this has to be a better day. And sometimes they were good days. You know, my cross country team did well. That was another thing. I'm coaching a cross country meet and I stand up on this big rock and I'm cheering and I look over and Doug has come to the cross country meet. It's like, what are you doing here? Well, I just want to watch you in your element. Very unsettling and very off-putting. I just felt sometimes like I'd lost my footing, that every time I stepped and thought I was on solid ground, I was on loose footing and I would trip and stumble. That's the best way to describe how I was feeling about everything at that time. Some things were good and I could hold them together. Other things were terrible and falling apart. During this time, Gracie is a freshman at Concord High School. We have our wonderful morning routines. I drop her off. I turn around. I come back home. I get dressed. Molly gets dressed. We have 45 minutes together. I either take her to the bus or I bring her to school. And then I go to work. Because of my full-time work schedule, my CrossFit participation begins to wane. I have to sit it in at night. I have to sit it in on the weekends. But I do. I work very hard initially to maintain all of my participation in all of the things that I'm doing. Gracie loves Concord High School. Molly loves Runlet. Another red flag for Molly, she did not do the fall play. And I was amazed by this because theater was like her passion. And she said, no, I think I'll just focus on dance, my homework done, settle into a routine. Didn't even really do a bunch of backstage stuff or help out, which was just so unlike her. She had been involved in every production at Runlet, both in sixth grade. So I just felt like, okay, something isn't right. Are you tired? Yes, yeah, sometimes I'm tired. Another thing I'd noticed is Molly would come home and her entire lunch bag was full still of all the food. So I'm like, Molly, you can't not eat. And she wasn't feeling well. So I sort of thought maybe she had an eating issue, but at night she would eat a big dinner. She'd sit down and eat a good dinner. You know, I think her tummy felt better at night. And some days she'd pick. It was all, it was all just odd behavior on the part of Molly. It wasn't Molly. I didn't recognize the behavior. Dance-wise, things were great. We had a wonderful time. So much of the fall of 2015 was wonderful. But for me, I was just slipping down an ever-increasingly icy, slippery slope into a life that wasn't bringing anyone happiness or joy. Christmas morning was wonderful. Gracie and Molly had asked for really meaningful gifts for Christmas. I had gotten them everything on their list that I could. And if I couldn't find exactly what they wanted, something close enough. My mother got them these Vera Bradley comforters. They had organized their room and set it up. Kenny had bought them a new carpet. They were just so clearly ready to be grown up. And they had such amazing times together. I was out of control and chaotic and they knew it. And it made them nervous and anxious 
all the time. We had this wonderful Christmas. Roy did a lot of needlepoint and he made these ornaments for them. He made one for me. By this time, Roy and I had had that fight, but we still continued to talk. I went back down sort of between Christmas and New Year and spent some time there with Morgan and Teresa. I had spent a couple of Christmases with Morgan and Teresa by now. They spent a, a great deal of time there. And Teresa was actually, you know, living nearby. I had bought, bought a car from her. So, you know, I had these connections with Roy and his children as a piece of Roy's life. I have no idea what he said at the time, how he explained or described my existence, whether he still, I know that he maintained conversations all the time with their mother because he kind of had to. He's got these children here now. So all of this was going on. These were all sort of normal things that happen with lots of families, no matter how sort of dysfunctional they are. I liked my connections there. All of these things were okay. And so New Year's Eve comes and Kenny and I are sort of at the end of our pushing the pause button and we're back to really being frustrated and unhappy with each other. And it was sort of one night between Christmas and New Year's and I was really drunk. Kenny and I drank a lot. I was sitting, I was on the phone with Roy and Kenny comes down, who are you talking to? Talking to Roy, I'm just drunk. It was all, it was so bizarre, just so utterly bizarre. I don't know how else to, to say. And then, you know, that was another big blowout, another big fight. And then New Year's Eve, I just spent New Year's Eve with Gracie and Molly. Kenny, as I said, was getting sicker and sicker and he couldn't stay awake much past nine o'clock most nights. And we'd gone to bed and we were watching the ball drop and watching the movie New Year's Eve, which we'd always done with Robin, you know, just trying to create normalcy and feel like we were okay. We went outside at New Year's Eve. It was like 60 degrees. Then we yelled Happy New Year and we held hands and we swore to one another that 2016 would be a better year. And I meant it. In that moment, I meant it. And I did not do one thing to make 2016 great. I just continued this crazy, crazy downward spiral of a life. When I look at my contributions to Molly's death, things that I did, choices that I made, this is where I hold myself most accountable. I didn't need to get a new job. I didn't need to invite an unhealthy person into my life. I didn't need to become a pawn in somebody's twisted game of chess. And I chose to do all of those things. All of them. There's a lot of things I wish I could go back and not do. I don't know that I would, that I would undo anything with Amy and Roy and all that craziness because these two amazing children are a piece of that story. There's nothing amazing about the story at what comes next in my friendship and relationship with Doug. And so, you know, I, I have a hard time sometimes wrapping my head and reconciling. You know, this is a person that lives in my community. And so what do I do with that? How do I navigate the truth and the reality of these choices and this lifestyle that I chose? As I entered 2016, that's where I was. Everything was chaotic. There was still no Robin in my life, which was fine by now. The fall was like that, dealing with Robin and moving on from Robin. Roy and I were in and out and in and out. We're on again, off again, angry at me, not angry. And it was also around Christmas time, actually, that Roy had decided his Christmas present to me would be a trip to Amsterdam at the end of April. And so initially I was like, no, it's Gracie's birthday week and I don't want to miss her birthday. And he reminded me that I was willing to miss it to go to Hawaii the year before, which was very true. I reluctantly sort of agreed, okay, I'll go. And that would become a big theme of the next few months. So unbelievable ups, unbelievable downs. Was I doing good things in my new job? Absolutely. And I enjoyed the children. I enjoyed the day-to-day -day challenge of face-to-face -face education. Having a student in the middle of a meltdown, figuring out how to solve it. It was wonderful. Gracie and Molly were having wonderful school years. They, they had a friend group. Dance was good. They had a new dance small group, Take Me to Heaven. Their day-to-day -day life was okay. Kenny's health was failing, but he had a stable existence that allowed him to do the dialysis, rest. You know, nothing was being asked of him. He could just maintain staying alive. 
And I, as usual, was just adding to the chaos of my life. I was the one that was adding and bringing in the chaos by agreeing to stay in these relationships and not really step back and take a look at why was I in these relationships. And, you know, neither Doug nor Roy can say that they were unwitting in it. They both had their own agendas and I was easily sucked into whatever their next plan was. Maybe they were easily sucked into mine. As I said, it was just a dance. It was bizarre. The final thing I'll, I'll share in terms of big events was Gracie and Molly got this massive case of head lice. They missed a ton of school. They didn't want to go to school with it. Hours and hours of shampoo and finally mayonnaise. We put mayonnaise and shower curtain, you know, shower caps on and, you know, wrapped tape around it to hold the mayonnaise in it ended up suffocating the lice. And that was a medical weirdness. I remember taking Molly to the doctor at that time and the doctor asked me, is anything else going on? And we talked a little bit about Molly's headaches. It's just minor. Because, you know, what do you... You have teenage girls, there's a million things that could be going on. And Molly was 12 and this was the time that maybe these things would start happening. I had migraines at that age. And so that was the path down which we went because that's what we thought. So the last four months of 2015 took a chaotic life that was in control and had some stability and basically decimated it. And we were a riverboat floating down a river and then we were an unmanned kayak in the worst rapids ever sort of the best way I can describe the tumult around that time in my life. 2016 would begin and it would be the last new year and the last year that would begin with Molly living here in a body. And this is still a really incredibly difficult reality for me to acknowledge as I sit here crying. I don't sometimes know how to, how to forgive myself and how to work around it. And this is a piece of it, sharing my ridiculous, nasty behavior. But, you know, it is what it is. If my story can help you or give clarity to some chaos in your life or give you someone new to hate, then I'm doing a good thing. So I really truly want to thank you for listening to these difficult podcast episodes. They're not as long as some of them are, but I can't talk about these things too much. I get too swallowed up in it. It gets tricky for me to manage. So please be good to yourselves and make good decisions for yourselves. If, if I can help you not make a poor decision, then maybe be good to other people, especially those that depend on you or those that can't be good to themselves. And as always, have a good day, everybody. Hey, thanks for listening and for supporting the podcast. Feel free to leave a review and to share my stories with your friends. Please reach out with your own stories. I love connecting with my listeners. If you want to see what I'm up to next, you can find me on Instagram at Barb underscore 444, on Facebook as Barb Higgins, and at my website, a thousandtinysteps.com. And while you're there, sign up for my newsletter, a weekly way to find out what's up in the life of Barb Higgins.